Well, good morning. How's everyone doing today? Feeling good? Ready to rock and roll? Hey, first of all, thank you. Thank you for participating in uh, the blanket drive. And it is awesome to see the response of this church to be able to step up for the people in need all across this community. And I know some of you might be thinking, man, I need a blanket right now because I'm a little bit cold in this room. The blankets are not for you. Well, I mean, I guess you could have one if you really needed one, but they're really for the community. So thank you so much just for stepping up and serving and participating in that blanket drive. I love that we get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus as a community. And so it's just great to be able to be a part of uh, sessions or individual things like this to be able to help out those in need. So we know that, hey, we are in a three-week series on discipleship. This is week two, and I'm going to bring us up to speed about what we talked about last week so we can further along the conversation as we dive into week two. So last week, we talked about what discipleship is. See, discipleship is the process of devoting oneself to a teacher to learn from and become more like them. For the Christian, this refers to the process of learning the teachings of Jesus and following after his example in obedience to the power of the Holy Spirit. Discipleship not only involves the process of becoming a disciple, but of making other disciples through teaching and evangelism. And then last week we went into the word, we found out that the word akolotheo was a, was a Greek word that meant disciple. It, it typically means the process of following someone as a disciple. And we use that word akolotheo as the starting point of discipleship. We also answered the question, we asked the question and answered it, why is Jesus worth following? And then we saw that Jesus was not just another rabbi, that he didn't just call the best the best, and he isn't calling the best the best, or the ones that have it all figured out, or the ones that don't have a past, but he was calling the ones that are, that are chosen. And what I mean by that is Jesus is not in the business of calling the qualified. He's in the business of qualifying the called. And the ones that choose to follow him are the ones that are called. So we, when we choose to follow Jesus, we do this because of who Christ is and what he did for every single one of us. And because of this, what we talked about last week is that the, a life of discipleship is our act of obedience because of what Christ first did for us. And we determined because of who Christ is, all the attributes that we spoke of in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that Christ is love, is that a life of discipleship must be our act of obedience. That it, and that it is absolutely worth a lifetime of following Jesus and spending our lives being a disciple of his. So now that we're all caught up, we determined that Jesus is absolutely worth following. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about and going to uncover what it looks like to live a life of discipleship. And what we're going to see is discipleship involves two things. Number one, it involves learning the words, the ways, and the teachings of Jesus. Discipleship is living out our faith. We're going to talk about that this week. And secondly, discipleship also involves helping others become disciples and our activity around making disciples. Today, again, our focus 
is how discipleship involves learning the words, the ways, and the teachings of Jesus. Discipleship is about living out our faith. But what does that mean? What does living out our faith mean? As you may know, we are in prime sports season. I mean, every sport that is, like pretty much every major league sport is in season right now. We have baseball, we have hockey, we have basketball, football, NASCAR, golf. I mean, you name it, you turn on the TV, you can be watching a professional sports outing. And maybe you're not even involved in the sports world, but because of Taylor Swift putting Travis Kelsey on the map, you probably now know at least what's going on with at least one football team, right? Isn't that crazy what's going on right now? Hey, complete side note. Did you know that Travis Kelsey's jersey sales have gone up over 400% in the last couple of weeks? And that ticket sales have gone up 43%? That's just, that just blows my mind. I think they're calling it the Taylor Swift effect or something along those lines. But every, every sport, every team is currently in season. But we generally know that it's, there's a difference between being on the field and being in the crowd. There's a difference of being a player versus a spectator. See, a spectator can have the knowledge about the game. A spectator can know the rules and have a proper strategy about how to win that game. They can have a plan to help the team win. But we all know that we cannot truly understand what it's like to be on the field, to know what it takes to get to the championship game and to win the championship experience until we experience what it is to be on that field. See, someone in the crowd does not get to experience what the, what the players on the field get to experience, the true feeling of a win as someone that was actually on the field. See, the cost of, and the reward of being on the field is much greater than the ones that are in the stands. And the same goes to applying to a life of discipleship with Christ. See, being on the field and not in the crowd or just a spectator as it relates to discipleship is a big portion of what we're talking about, about living out our faith. So let's look into what it looks like to live out our faith. So as we talked about, we're still in the world of akalotheo, the process of becoming a disciple. But this week, we're also going to be introducing a word, uh, another Greek word for disciple. It's the verb disciple. It means it is the verb menthano. And that menthano is to learn as a disciple, to come to know the will of God through Jesus' teachings. There's commentary that goes on to say, this learning or this coming to know is not a mere intellectual process, but the acceptance of Christ himself, along with rejection of the old existence and beginning of the new life of discipleship in him. See, living out our faith means that we must die to ourselves, die to our own ways, to follow Jesus and to learn as his disciple. We hear this in Galatians 2.20, and really throughout the entire New Testament, but just one verse in particular. It's not up on the screen, but let me read you this verse. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's talking about the rejection of our old existence and beginning of the new life and discipleship in him. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. This life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
See, the reality is there's a lot to unpack in what we just covered in those first two minutes. Manthano, we can uncover a lot there, the commentary that we just read, and certainly a lot based upon Galatians 2.20. But let's address two truths about discipleship. And then what we're going to do is we'll end our time together talking about a few points and how to practically live out our faith as we are embarking upon or continuing on our life of discipleship with Christ. Number one, first truth about discipleship. There is a cost of discipleship. And I love that Jesus does not hide this fact that there is a cost to following him. And number two, discipleship must be both educational and experiential. See, we are called to to know this playbook and to be on the field at the same time. But let's dig into a, let's dig in a little bit deeper to these two truths. The first truth, there is a cost of discipleship. Let's look at Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Pause. What? This is, this is Jesus talking here? Jesus is, is telling us to hate mother, father, sister, brother, children, and even ourselves? And that we must carry our own cross to follow him to be a disciple of his? This is some strong language. And think about the context that we're looking at. Jesus is speaking both to his disciples and to a large crowd. And I can imagine at this point in the conversation, the disciples and the crowd are, are like wide-eyed and looking like, what in the world is he talking about? Even in scripture, in another scripture, it talks about how people left the teaching because it was, there was too much of a cost to follow him. And when Jesus is talking, he goes on to give a few examples to back up what he's talking about. Picking back up in verse 28, Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able to, with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will, send a he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way, way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. This is strong language used by Jesus. Strong language used by Jesus. Now, the Greek word that's translated into English as hate, a better Greek word that would be better translated to English is to love less than. So even though Jesus is absolutely getting his point across, telling us to have all other relationships in our life, mother, father, children, husband, wife, even our own selves, make sure that that relationship is less than the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ himself. But we also must be prepared and willing to sacrifice everything we have in order to follow Jesus. Remember a few weeks ago, if you were here, when Dr. Frank Turk was here preaching on Romans chapter 13. 
he brought up an individual by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Now, Bonhoeffer was a German pastor during the time of Nazi Germany. And he was very outspoken about Nazi Germany. He was trying to get all the other pastors in Germany to speak out against what was happening in Germany at that time. And because he was willing to speak the truth, because he knew that there was a cost to speaking the truth, it ultimately cost him his life. And in his book called The Cost of Discipleship, he wrote, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. See, discipleship cost Bonhoeffer his life, and we've heard other stories of other Christians that have cost them their lives because of their faith in Christ. See, we may never have to pay the price that Bonhoeffer and others have paid to follow Jesus, but there's still a cost and a price to pay for us to follow Jesus. And Jesus wants you and I to know, and he wants to know from us, are we willing to give up everything to follow him? See, becoming a disciple of Jesus, discipleship may seem lonely. Discipleship may cost you friends. Discipleship requires action and the ones that are speaking the truth. Discipleship requires us to speak truth. And I'm not talking about a truth or my truth. I'm talking about are we willing to speak the truth? When we live in a world today that just tells us to remain silent, if we were in Nazi Germany, would we be willing to stand up against what was happening? In today's world, are we willing to stand up and speak the truth, the truth about the covenant marriage relationship that God established between a man and a woman? Are we willing to stand up and stand firm and speak the truth about what's happening in our school systems today, in the local government, and in the federal government about the transgender movement that's happening in the world today? Are we willing to stand up against it? Or are we going to cower away and to say, ah, I'll let someone else handle that? There is absolutely a cost to pay. There's absolutely a price that we must pay to follow Jesus. And it may cost us our friendships. It may cost us and sometimes our earthly possessions that we're going to find out in just a second. So are we willing to pay the price? Are we even willing to potentially forego earthly success and possessions to follow Jesus? Think about the rich young ruler found in Luke chapter 18. Starting in verse 20, he says, You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. This is when Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler. Verse 21, the rich young ruler speaks back. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. So we see in this story that this gentleman, the rich young ruler, was not willing to give up his earthly successes and earthly possession to follow Jesus. He wasn't willing to pay the cost. What I'm not saying is that having wealth is bad. Everyone hear me on that? Having wealth is not bad. Wealth is a tool to use for evil. Wealth can also be a tool to use for good. But as a disciple of Christ, 
we know that everything we re- that we have on this earth really isn't ours anyway. So Jesus is asking this man, do I mean more to you than all of your wealth and all of your possessions? What is more important? You have to choose. There's a cost of discipleship. The second truth about discipleship, discipleship must be both educational and experiential. Discipleship is being both on the field and knowing the playbook. Because if you know the playbook but aren't on the field, we miss the experiential part of discipleship and the blessings that come along with it. Or if you're on the field but don't know the playbook, we're going to be exposed really quickly. Example, let's say that you are an NFL running back. You're on the field. The ball is snapped to you. The quarterback hands it off to you. But you didn't take the time to learn the playbook. You decided to run in the direction that you wanted to run, hoping that there will be no one there to tackle you. When the coverage and the protection and everything that you've studied and played or the team has studied and the team has practiced and the team has has rehearsed is over on the right side of the field, but you decide to run to the left. How many of us can agree that it's going to be pretty painful and you're probably not going to get very far on that field because you didn't take the time to know the playbook? So discipleship must be both educational and experiential. We must know the playbook and we must both be on the field. Let's look at what James says about not just listening to the word, not just listening to our playbook, that is the Bible, but let's talk about what what it says to do. Being both on the field, experiencing discipleship, but also knowing what to do. This is found in James 1 Verses 22 through 25. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. See, this section right here can be weighty. It can be heavy. But I love that Jesus does not back away from these teachings. But here's the encouraging portion. When we count the cost of anything, along with it, we must count the value of that which we are getting in return. See, anything worth having, anything of value is going to cost a something. There's always a price to pay. If you're wanting to start a business, there's a price to pay. There's a cost. Wanting to get in shape, there's a cost. There's a price to pay. Wanting to get into a specific college, there's a cost. There's a price to pay. See, we pay greater prices for what we value the most. And Jesus is asking you and I, do we value him more than we value the pleasures, the comforts, and relationships of this earth. He's asking that question. See, knowing that there is a cost of discipleship and knowing that discipleship must be both educational and experiential, now, how do we learn the words, the ways, and the teachings of Jesus as we devote our life to being his disciple? 
See, it doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus as a disciple for 30 days or been following him for 30 years. These actions that we're going to talk about over the next few moments remain the foundation of discipleship. So as we dive into these, my hope and prayer is that we as a church and us as individuals can commit to these as we continue to pursue a life of discipleship with Christ. Number one, commit to immersing yourself in scripture. So what we find in Psalm 32, eight is what happens when we immerse ourselves in scripture. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. See, we were given this manual. We were given the word of God to instruct us, to teach us, to correct us, and for, all, for us to also know God on a personal level. Also in Joshua 1, 8, it says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. In a very simple verse, but such a powerful verse, Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. So here's, here's my encouragement. Is don't let this, what we're doing here today, be the main meal for us getting into scripture. Don't let this time together be the main meal. This is designed really to be a supplement for immersing ourselves into scripture. Think about it this way. We're, on, we're awake on average about 16 hours a day, meaning we get about eight hours of sleep. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, I wish I got eight hours of sleep. But let's just assume, let's just assume that all of us got a solid eight hours of sleep a night. That means we're awake for 16 hours a day. Seven days a week times 16 hours awake a day is 112 hours of awake time during the week. We spend about one hour a week here in a corporate setting talking about Jesus. Don't let this time be the only time that we dive into this book. How many, how many of you have studied abroad to learn another language? Anybody here? Yeah, a few hands. If you're trying to learn another language, the best way to learn another language is by what? Full immersion. So when we commit our lives and commit ourselves to immersing ourselves in the scripture, we have the ability to learn what God is telling us how to live. The purpose of our life, the calling on our life can be revealed to us by immersing ourselves in learning the language of God. Number two, commit to prayer and fasting. Here's what I found interesting. The disciples' time with Jesus, the disciples did not ask Jesus to teach them how to preach. The disciples did not ask Jesus to teach them how to perform miracles. They asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Luke chapter 11 says, one day Jesus was preaching in a certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. The disciples knew the value and the importance of prayer. 
See, prayer is how we develop a deeper relationship with God. And don't think that prayer has to be something formal. Don't think that it ha- you have to be uh, educated in a certain way to be able to pray to God. Prayer is a simple way, an act of communication. Look, he already knows the desires of our hearts. He already knows what's going on in our lives. He knows every situation, every circumstance. He knows the deepest hurts. He knows the deepest pains. He knows every single thing that's happening in our life. But there is something about speaking to our Father in heaven. There's something about praying to him that brings us closer to him. Pray that his will be done. Pray and believe that he has the ability to make every situation come to pass. But two other things I would encourage us to do as a body. Pray consistently and pray persistently. Be consistent in our prayers. Continue having the conversation with God. It can be driving down the road. It can be in the shower. It can be when you have two seconds to yourself. Whatever the case may be, you can be talking to God. It doesn't have to be closing your eyes and bowing your head, but it's continuing to just look up to heaven and to thank him, talk to him, because he wants to know you, and it's a great way for you to get to know his heart as well. The second portion is fasting. See, fasting is an invaluable way to get to know God. In Jetson Franklin's book titled Fasting, he writes this. If Jesus could have done what, was, what, what he was sent to do on this earth without fasting, why did he fast? Immediately following his baptism, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert on a 40-day fast. If the Son of God fasted, and he is our example, I cannot say often enough how crucial the discipline of fasting and prayer must be to the Christian life. Now, we could spend an entire series on fasting. We can can, uh, have an entire series on prayer. We have an entire series on immersing yourself in scripture. And we're going to talk about the importance of all those in the community setting next week. But for the purposes of this week, know that fasting is absolutely essential. Fasting is a short season that produces a lasting effect. And then thirdly, commit to the local church. Commit to being in community. It's about being involved in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, gospel-centered church, being involved, not just attending, but actually being involved. We are called to be in community with one another. So what does it mean to, to be involved? Being involved means attending. Being involved means serving. Being involved means giving, not just giving of your tithe, but giving of your time, giving of your talents. Being involved as a church body to surround ourselves with other believers. See, it's about having community with others that are on the same journey that we're on. It's to encourage one another, to equip one another, to hold each other accountable. See, we're going to talk about this more in next week, but look at our activity, but let's look at our activity in making disciples. This is found in Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 2. Then going to verse 9, the importance of community. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens. In the same way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's so important to be a part of a community of believers, to equip us, to encourage us, to convict us, to hold each other accountable. This is important. We must commit to it. So what happens? What happens when we commit our lives to discipleship? What happens when we commit our lives to immersing ourselves in Scripture, to commit to prayer and fasting, to commit to being involved with a community of believers? Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 what happens. What happens when we look, when we look at what a true disciple is? John chapter 15 says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciple. This brings great glory to my Father. See, Jesus is telling us that we know we are disciples because we produce fruit. It goes on in, in verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. See, just as Jesus chose the disciples so that they will produce lasting fruit, he is choosing you and I so that we will also bear this fruit, fruit that lasts. See, when we commit our lives to discipleship, we, we with Christ, when we, admit, when we commit our lives to discipleship with Christ, we see that discipleship produces lasting fruit. This is the encouraging portion of the message. Discipleship produces lasting fruit. But what is this fruit? If you've been around the church body long enough, you know the fruit of the Spirit. But let, let me remind you of this in the book of Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep and step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. See, discipleship with Christ produces the lasting fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look, we, we have probably heard these verses so many times in a church setting, but don't just gloss over these statements because you've heard these verses before. By committing to discipleship with Christ. He said, not my words, what Christ said is that we will produce fruit that lasts. See, don't we want love? Don't we want joy? Of course we want peace. Of course we want patience. Of course we want self-control. Look, I know some of us for a fact have been praying for peace. Some of us have been praying 
for kindness. Some of us have been praying for self-control. Some of us have been praying for joy. It's time. It's time to choose to be on the field. It's time to choose to not just be in the crowd. It's time to experience a life with Christ through a life of discipleship, a life that produces lasting fruit. Fruit that the Father willingly wants to give us. He wants to bless us with the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, there is a cost. We saw this in Jesus' teaching, both telling us that our relationship with him needs to be supreme, higher than every other relationship. We also saw that in the teaching in the encounter with a rich young ruler. There is an absolute cost to pay. But as I was studying this, this section hit me like a ton of bricks. Because Jesus gives an answer. Jesus gives the call to action in the response. Just a few short verses after Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. And his answer and his response both answers the question about the rich young ruler and points us back to Luke chapter 14, talking about how our relationship needs to be supreme with Jesus rather than any other relationship on this earth. And Jesus responds in Luke 18, verse 29, just a few verses after his encounter with the rich young ruler. Jesus says, truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is the promise of discipleship. So my question is, is the cost worth it? Absolutely. Is being on the field worth it? Absolutely. Is committing our lives to the ways and the words and the teachings of Jesus worth it? Absolutely. The cost is high, but the reward that we just saw, the reward is greater. And that reward is summed up by Paul using an illustration about being on the field and not just in the crowd, but competing in and on the field. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. We run this life, we run this race of discipleship. We go into strict training by immersing ourselves into scripture. We go into strict training by committing to prayer and fasting. We go into strict training by being a part of a body of Christ, being a part of a Bible-believing, Christian-centered church. 
but we do it not to obtain any earthly possession or earthly treasure. We don't do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it for a crown that will last forever. We run, we train, we choose to be on this field because of the gift of salvation that was made available to you and it was made available to me. It's made available to those who accept it. It's made available to the, the ones who say, yes, Lord, I choose you. And so when we commit our lives to a life of discipleship, we can begin to see the fruit of the Spirit at work in our lives. What Jesus is asking us today, are you willing to pay the price? There is a cost to pay, but I want you to run this life with me because I promise you this, the cost is high, but the reward is greater. And that reward is eternal life with Christ. Would you all stay with me this morning? I want to end our time together praying over two specific situations. The first person that I want to pray for is someone that is a Christian, but maybe you've walked away from the faith. Maybe you never really understood what a life of discipleship is. And maybe as you heard today that yes, there's a cost, but the reward is so much greater. And you wanna recommit your life to Christ, a life of discipleship to walk alongside him from this day forward, recommitting your life to him. The second person is someone who has never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That is the single greatest decision that you can make in this life. You have the opportunity and Jesus wants you in relationship with him, an opportunity to be a disciple of his. If that's you this morning, look, we're surrounded by people that love Jesus. We wanna encourage you today. We wanna celebrate your decision today, whether it's coming to Jesus for the very first time or recommitting your life of discipleship to Jesus today. If you wanna be included in that prayer right now, would you just slip up your hand real fast? You slip it up if you wanna be included in that prayer. Amen. Church, will you pray with me? Father, thank you for sending your son as a perfect example. Father, I know that I am in need of a savior. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. Father, I choose you as my Lord and savior. Use me from this day forward. Teach me your ways. Teach me your words. Teach me your teachings. Father, I commit to you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate those that rededicated their lives to Christ today? Or for the ones that I just gave, that rededicated or gave their lives to Jesus? Church, I hope 
as an entire staff here at Multiply Church Lake Norman that we continue to read this, continue to seek out His will, His purpose for our lives. So next week, we're gonna be diving into the third portion of discipleship, really talking about the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples. What does that mean? What does that look like? So we're so grateful that you are here today with us. We have right outside these doors our wide awake and fully alive area. If you need any type of prayer, we have volunteers and church leaders right outside this, this door to pray with you and to pray for you. But we'll be back here next week, same time, same place, as we continue to love Jesus and change the world. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you back here next week. God bless you.